Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Learn to discern. Love isn't rude to behave in an unbecoming manner. It isn't rude. Well, this is one where the light might flash on your dashboard, especially for me. I can be thickly sarcastic. There's one thing about being sarcastic, and then there's another thing about being bitingly sarcastic. I don't know either. (laughs) I've got some competition. Whoever that is, man, they got a voice. Love's not irritable. I'm sorry, love isn't self-seeking. Not selfish, not self-centered, not striving for yourself. And this was the part where when I was talking with John, like, I'm like, I have a hard time accepting the fact that you're telling me I've got to love myself because I think that's just too touchy-feely and, and self-centered. But when you truly love yourself, you're not putting yourself above everybody else. You're not selfish, you're not self-seeking, you're not self-centered. Love is not that way. Love isn't irritable. Um, I like to think that my warning light on the dashboard is not going off a lot on this one. And I think the Lord has gracefully grown me out of some of this. But when I was in my 20s, they had a nickname for me at work. Irritable Eric. Irritable Eric. Folks, I mean, that, I believe that was God saying, son, love isn't irritable, and you are, so there's something going on that you need to fix. Love is not irritable. Are you at home and people walking on eggshells around you? I thought I was fine. Seven years ago, I think, five, six, seven years ago, when I went away to his high places, I came back, and oh, what a wonderful transformation. God had blessed me, and... uh, I'm just happy. Burdens are gone. And my kids noticed it. And I said, I wasn't irritable. And Trish is driving like this. And the kids are in the back seat going, what? Really, Dad? And I'm like, all right. You got me. You got me. So the light flashing. When you see these things, church, you're laying the framework of love over your own life and you recognize these deficiencies in your life. Don't condemn yourself. Be changed and transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the beauty of the Word of God. There is power in the Word of the living God. It's transformative. When you see that light on the dashboard, it's not God saying, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. 
It's God saying, I want to lift you out of this. I want to help you. I want to bless you. Because ultimately, love does no harm. And when you are harming yourself and you're harming others, there's a lack of love there that needs to be addressed. And you need to get alone with God. And you may need accountability. You may need to talk to people. But folks, don't stay in a loveless life. Framework of love. It keeps no record of wrongs. In the New King James, the word is rendered, uh, the word is rendered keeps. In this other uh, passage, the word was rendered uh, keeps no record is wrong. The word in, I'm sorry, Lord. Did I write that correctly? Thinketh no evil. Thinks no evil in the New King James and King James. CSB, ESV, NASB keeps no record of wrongs. The idea here is keeping these wrongs in your mind, counting them up. The word keeps or the word thinks in the Greek means to tally up. Take a tally of. Anyone ever do that in their lives? You don't have to raise your hands, but sometimes we have, we have situations where we're done, something wrong is done and we, we, we tick it off. Okay, this is, this is wrong. They did this to me, 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 and we keep a record of wrongs. We tally it up. Is that loving? No, it's not loving. It's the opposite of love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't tally things up to hold against people. Do you find yourself doing that, husbands, with your wife? Do you find yourself doing that with your husbands? Do you you find yourself doing that with your children? Sometimes I think us parents, we kind of think we're all that. And children, obey your parents, right? In the Lord, for this is right. We we think that their, their job is just to obey us. And we forget that our job is to love them. And our child does something wrong and we, and we work with them on it. They're forgiven. We forgive them. But we keep a secret tally. And when they blow it again, we bring that tally back and we hit them over the head with it. Children, wife, employee, employer. One of the best pieces of premarital advice I ever got from Pam and Mark LaMontagne was the, was the advice of throwing away the big stick. Throwing away the big stick. If you've, if you've done something wrong, you're confronted, you're forgiven, you repent. As far as the east is from the west, you don't keep a tally of it. You don't hold it in reverse, in reserve. The Bible says we don't keep a tally of wrongs. So when we see that happening in our lives, grudge holding and grudge bearing, we are having a warning light flashing on our dashboard and we need to take care of it. Does not find joy in unrighteousness. Consider here the warning in Romans chapter 1, 31 through 32, without understanding covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable. That means can't be argued with. Right? Implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, he's talking about these egregious sins against God, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. But not only are they who are not saved, living under condemnation, those who may pretend to be saved or think they're saved, but have pleasure in those who do such things, whoo, that's big trouble. 
We should never take joy in unrighteousness. We should never have pleasure when people fall into sin. We should never have pleasure in unrighteousness. The Bible says rejoices in the truth. Simple truth has no pleasure in lies or those that perpetrate them. Bears all things. I like this definition. Bears all things. Weathers the storms that come to you or come to others. Not only your own storms, but the storms of others. Bears yourself up and others. Have you ever been that to someone? Have you ever been someone that not only bears your own storms, but bears up someone else when they're going through theirs? That's love. That's love. Bearing one another up. The Bible says that in Galatians. Bear one another's burdens. 1 Corinthians talks about how we bear one another up and then bear with each other. That's something completely different. It means that we put up with each other. Well, going on. Believes all things. Trusts. Folks, love trusts. Love trusts. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Love looks with hope. And with confidence. Love looks with hope and with confidence. If you're living a life right now and you're feeling hopeless, listen, your dashboard lights are flashing. Because Jesus is hope. Jesus is love. Jesus is grace. Jesus is mercy. And if you're living and it's so dark and you can't see hope, turn around and look to the light. Because he is right there. He's right there. Well, like as the Son of Man, as, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Keep looking to Jesus. Oh, keep looking to Jesus. It's almost like it's all about Jesus, isn't it? And then finally, he says, love endures all things, bears all things, but endures all things. It's a little bit different than weathering the storm and holding somebody else up in their storm, this carries with it the idea of courage. Courage, facing the storm. Withstanding the storm with courage, not flagging in the disaster that's falling down upon you. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a fan of the Buffalo Bills. Can I get an amen? So, uh, I was scrolling through Facebook the other day, which I don't do very often anymore, so if you're trying to get a hold of me or if you have an event or invitation, don't put it on Facebook and assume I'll see it or Instagram. Uh, Send me a text. You can send me Facebook Messenger. That's just a little FYI for you. Um, But I was scrolling down and there's a scientist and he had a picture of a buffalo on it and it said, buffalo is one of the only mammals that walk into the storm. And I'm like, ooh, I like that. Because uh, I don't know if you know about the Bills right now, but they are uh, walking into the storm. And they need to win out pretty much to get in the playoffs. You don't care about that. You should, but you don't care about that. So this is the framework of, this is a framework of love. It's courageous. It faces the storm. It's not running away. Uh, if you've researched and studied anxiety and depression and things of that nature, you know the only way through anxiety is through it, through it, 
Some of my favorite coping mechanisms are unhealthy avoidance. Uh, avoidance isn't really a healthy mechanism. Love endures with courage. It doesn't lose hope. It keeps its eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. It's almost like the Bible was written by one hand. Hebrews chapter 12. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look unto him. It means to stare intently at, to look, fasten your eyes on Jesus. Fasten your eyes on Jesus. This framework, should be used to discern as we lay it upon our relationships. Some of y'all aren't married yet. You want to get married someday, you got to learn the framework of love. Learn the framework of love. You're with a woman, and you don't see these attitudes and actions being done and had toward you, but they keep saying they love you. You may want to dodge that bullet. I'm just saying, because once you get married, man, the Bible says marriage is forever, unless there's adultery committed. Marriage is forever. So be careful. Make sure you see in this, these actions of love and the attitude of love. Now, if you are married, if you are married, you ought to lay that framework over yourself. Lay it over your spouse. Because in marriage, do you realize the chief sanctifier in your life, the one person God should be using more than anyone else to guide you into more and more holiness is your spouse? But boy, you ought to pluck the beam out of your own eye before you start beating somebody over the head with it. You lay it over yourself and you ask yourself these questions. Well, <clears throat> I had asked some of myself those questions as well. And when you start to see things not measuring up, don't condemn yourself. Don't condemn your wife. Be the blessing to them. Help them. How do I help them? Well, what does the Bible say in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5? He's talking about those who aren't saved, but I believe it applies to both. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, those who do not know Christ yet. They're on the outside of the family. Redeeming the time, let your speech always be with grace. Now, how often is our speech to be with grace? How often? How often? What does the Bible say? Is that, does that sound hard to you? Does that sound difficult to you? Some of you guys have got a personality that's been kind of corrupted by the world and self and, and uh, irritability is baked in, so to speak. That doesn't give you a pass. You don't get a pass. The Bible says love is not irritable. You lay it down over your life and you see that you're not speaking with speech that is seasoned with salt, preservative, flavorful full of grace that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We lay the framework of love over our conversations. I had someone share that with me the other day. I said, how do I do this? And he said, well, what does the Bible say? Be kind. Don't be rude. There is your answer. 
When you're dealing with difficult situations, you, you deal with them in love, with love. So know how to answer each man. You season your speech with salt and grace. So when you approach your spouse and you have to have difficult conversations, what does it say? With grace. Season with salt. I've been in environments where there was very little grace. It doesn't do what you think it does. I had a man one day, he was screaming at his wife. And a lot of people were noticing it in the church. He's no longer here. But he'd be screaming at his wife, belittling his wife, demeaning his wife. And I remember I approached him. I'm like, brother, what are you doing? You should not be treating your wife that way. And listen, that's my place to say it. You might say, stay out of my business. Too bad. You're my brother in Christ. You're in my church. I'm an authority over you, as the Scripture says. So I confronted him. And his answer was this. What's the only way she listens? It's, in other words, it's her fault that I'm treating her that way. It's her fault. Now he's talking about people that are without, which is very important for us to understand that that we need to lead with love when we're talking to people who do not know Christ, when we're sharing the gospel, when we share the Ten Commandments, they're condemned already. We don't need to pile on. We don't need to belittle them. We don't need to demean them. We need to live with love and lead with love. And so when you have to have difficult conversations with people that have very sharp disagreements with what the Word of God says, you don't change the Word of God ever, but you lead with love. And if they don't receive it, it's on them. It's on them. Paul, who wrote this epistle, he said, the blood of no man is on my hands. In other words, it's on them. It's on them. Lead with love. We have to respond to others. When we must speak up and take a stand, we've got to do so with love and care for others, love for other people. Folks, did you... Did you, did you Look back at that framework. Would you take the time this week to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13? We only usually hear it read at weddings. Right? Love is faithful. And, and it almost loses its potency when we relegate it to just this portion of our lives. But man, is it so powerful when we're learning to discern how we treat people, how we talk to people, how we present the gospel, how we defend ourselves, argue. Lord, listen, arguing is going to happen, but it's how we do it. When you're out in the world and someone says a flat-out sinful thing against you, how do you respond? With love. Now, I was working with Dave and Doug one day. I told you that every now and then I would say things to Dave, my, my old boss that would Tick him off, right? He signs my paychecks. You remember that one? That's when I knew I was crossing the line. I was in my early to mid-20s. I was still growing in grace. I'm only 53. I'm still growing in grace. But are we having a discussion on the biblical truth of homosexuality? Now, the Bible says homosexuality is a sin, this is what the Bible says. 
It's not a lifestyle. It's a sin. Now, I know all you guys got really uncomfortable there, but this is what the Bible says, not only in Leviticus, but also in Romans and other places in the New Testament. And people like to say, well, Jesus never talked about that. Jesus is the logos of God, the living word of God. And the Bible is not just the four gospel accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Bible is the entire Old Testament and the entire New Testament. And Jesus, the Bible says, he came to fulfill the law. Fulfill the law. He wasn't there to say, oh, well, this isn't right. That was for then. This is for now. Because the Bible says that God is unchanging. There's no shadow of turning with him. And so I had this discussion with Dave, and that happened to be the one thing he said to me. What are you going to do when the Bible proves you're wrong, when, when science proves the Bible's wrong, and they discover this gene, all this kind of stuff? And, and um, I was not graceful in my speech back to him. Have I learned since then? I sure hope so. I hope that I've become much more loving and grace-filled since then, but my response to him was not only unwelcome, although I considered it to be hilarious at the time. Again, sarcasm, biting, and I said something to him that made him look up at me and yell at me, and you remember who signed your paychecks and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that what I said was what God would have had have me said, say? Or at least this. Do you think what I said was the way that God wanted me to say it? I can tell you both. <laughs> shouldn't have said what I said, but I also shouldn't have said it the way I said it. You say these things in love. When you're having a discussion with someone, listen, that particular sin is, is something that people claim as their identity. And when you say that homosexuality is a sin according to the scriptures, people that are wrapped up and stuck, right, in that sin, what they're hearing is, you're a sin. They don't hear what they're doing is sin. They don't hear what their behavior is sin because that is their identity. All they're hearing is you're saying, you're a sin. And so you need to be very careful as you lead these people in love to Christ. That they understand this. That even though God says this is sin, He does not condemn the person sinning if they will turn to Jesus Christ. In fact, homosexuality really at the end of the day is not what condemns you to hell. You'll pay for it in hell. It's the rejection of Jesus Christ that sends you to hell. See, Jesus is available to all men everywhere. If the Son of Man be lifted up, He will draw all men to Him, but not all men will receive Him. Not all men will look to him in belief, will look to him for life. But it's available to all men. So Christian, be careful as you speak these things with people that are in the world because their identity is wrapped up in what we refer to and the scripture refers to as sin. And they don't separate it. I've come to really dislike the phrase, hate the sin, love the sinner. Because they don't distinguish between the two. Just share the truth in a loving, kind-hearted, sympathetic, that's what the Scripture says, way. There's the old saying, but for the grace of God go we. Folks, we are all sinners saved by grace, by the glorious gift of Jesus Christ. 
Who are we? The Bible says, who are we to condemn? Who are we to judge our brother, another man's servant? Be careful, my friends. Be careful. And so we must learn to lead with love all of our conversations and all of our discussions. We must learn to lead with love. Pour the framework of love over your conversations, over your discussions, over your disagreements, over your confrontations. Learn to lead with love. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.